All right, go to the book of 1 John. We've been in 1 John for the last, I guess, four weeks. This is the fourth week. And we have two more after this one. And so tonight, our topic is going to be a part one and a part two. I don't want to try to do too much on, on one night. And so this potentially could be a little shorter than it was last time. Uh, not guaranteeing anything, though. But, so we're going to uh, do part one of this. And so just a review of where we were. Uh, last week, we looked at two warnings that John gives us in the book of First John. Uh, the first thing was uh, he, the temptation to love the world. If you remember, we talked about that last week. And we are to love people. We're commanded to love God. We're commanded to love people. But we are not to love the world. And uh, John warns readers not to love the false values, false standards, and false gods of, of society, uh, because whatever things are involved in the world system, so we're not, we're, we are commanded to not love the world, meaning the world system, but all those things involved in the world system are under the authority of the evil one. They're completely anti-God, and they will hinder fellowship with him, which is what this whole series has been about, is having fellowship with God. And so... The sin of loving the world will hinder having fellowship with God and also with one another. And so this is what we talked about last week. That was the first warning. The second thing he warns them about is deception, is being deceived. And so he warns them to beware of false teachers who operate under the spirit of the Antichrist. We talked about that. So not the Antichrist of end times, but there are many Antichrists in the world uh, even as we speak today, and they operate under that, the, the Antichrist who will come in the end operates under that same spirit, under this uh, demonic influence. And so he warns of these false teachers, says, beware of them uh, who operate under the spirit, with the same spirit of the Antichrist. And he's going to deal with this in next week's passage as well with false teachers when he talks about testing the spirits. So we'll talk about that next week in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and those kind of things. We'll be in that next time. Uh, not tonight. But tonight we're going to look at the char- characteristics of fellowship. And so you can follow along on your handout if you picked one up. If you didn't get one, uh, we have them on the back table. Uh, but we're going to look at the characteristics um, of fellowship. And these are characteristics that are present, that are the, uh, these are the characteristics that are present in the life of a believer who loves and obeys Christ. These characteristics we're looking at People who, who have fellowship with God and who are enjoying that fellowship with God, they're going to, they're going to exhibit and manifest these char- characteristics in their life. Uh, these, are the, these characteristics are present in the life of the Christian uh, who fellowships with God, Christ, and others, and they're, they're uh, enjoying that, that there's joy found in this uh, fellowship that they have uh, with God and with other believers. And so they, that's what we'll be looking at. There's five of those. And we're just going to look at three uh, tonight. So in 1 John chapter 2, that's where we'll pick up. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink, uh, shrink from, his, from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will, ha- what we will, uh, will be has not yet appeared. But we, will know what, what we, but, we will, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see, see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the first characteristic we're going to look at is purity of life. The one who enjoys fellowship with God, (coughs) excuse me, is one uh, who lives a life of purity. In this passage here, we see that one day every one of of God's children will be with Jesus and will be like him. Now, not like God, don't, don't hear that but we will be like him uh, as we are resurrected and without sin. So we will be in a different, we'll read this here in a second, uh, our bodies that are, that are in a constant state of decay, uh, really from the moment you're born, uh, we begin to grow, and then at a certain point we begin to decline. 
This is normal. It's, it's part of the sin curse. It's not what God intended from the beginning, but this is just life. Um, but one day, we will be given a new body uh, that is uh, without sin, that does not uh, experience and deal with the sin, the sin curse any longer. And so one day, that's what we have to look forward to. Uh, this gives us great hope. And so go to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place in 1 John. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll start in verse 35. So I'll give you a second to get there. But 1 Corinthians 15, as you're, as you're turning there, it's the resurrection chapter. It talks about the significance of the resurrection, and it promises and guarantees that if you're in Christ, you'll be resurrected uh, to life uh, one day. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be uh, not is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and each and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is uh, one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and the glory of the heavenly is is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory for the stars, for stars differ from their star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, meaning that when our bodies die, we are under the curse of sin and our bodies will die. And they're perishable and we are, we are, wait, we are perishing uh, eventually. Uh, when, if Christ didn't come, he can come right now. That'd be great. But if he doesn't come first, we will die and our body will be sown uh, into the ground. And so what is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a spiritual body or natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not that spirit, but it is not the spirit, spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are dust. And the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, the man of dust is who? Adam. So we bear, we bear that image. It says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, who is Christ, the resurrected Christ. Because he has a resurrected body. He ascended into heaven, is at the right hand of God. And so he has a resurrected uh, the, a body. And so we will... Uh, bear the image of the man of heaven. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Uh, When the Bible uses the word sleep, it's talking about die. But we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised to imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives Christ the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul here is talking about the resurrection of the dead is that we our bodies as they are they are not fit for heaven they are corrupt they are decaying they are they are dying eventually they will die, uh, weaken and they will die and our bodies are not fit for heaven but one day at the resurrection 
will be given a new body that is fit for heaven to be in the presence of God. And so this is what we look forward to. And so this is what our hope is in. These truths that we, that we read empower believers to live as God desires. That's, this is our motivation, is that we have something greater, far greater than we could ever want in this world that awaits for us. And that's what we look forward to. That is our hope. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, the gospel is not just for unbelievers. A lot of times we think it, that's, that's for them, that we share the gospel. And should we share the gospel? Yes, that's what we do. And we do that all the time. And we need to do it with people that don't know Christ. But it's not just for unbelievers. <clears throat> it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that empowers the believer to live for the glory of God today. And so we need to regularly read the gospel. We need to regularly talk about the gospel. Because it is the power that gives us the ability and the power to live for the glory of God. And so you may, so you may be saying, well, we're talking about purity. Well, we're getting there. Uh, we're getting there but because it talks about this hope in 1 John. So go back to 1 John. We'll be there in just a second. But as the, power, the gospel is the power of God uh, for the believer to live for the glory of God. Uh, so because of this great hope that we have that's spoken of in 1 John, 1 John 3, 3. 1 John 3, 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So he's discussing this hope that we have. This hope that we have of being in the presence of Jesus Christ for all eternity. That is our hope. Our hope is in what Jesus Christ did. So not we, we, our faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in some prayer that I might have said. I'm not trusting that I walked down an aisle. Uh, that maybe I was baptized, maybe my name's on the church roll. And a lot of people trust in these other things, but their faith is not in Christ. And there is a difference. Salvation, if my faith is in anything other than Jesus Christ and, and what he did, that is not saving faith. And many people, if you talk to them, you say, are you a Christian? What are they going to say? Yes, and well, I go to this church over here. Or I was baptized. Or my grandpa was a preacher. Uh, you probably heard all these different things. Uh, maybe I, 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 I attend there. My name's on the roll. You know, all these reasons. But it's like, well, what about your faith? What's it in? What's the object of your faith? If it's anything other than Christ, it's not saving faith. And so we have this great hope that is in Jesus Christ and what he did and in him alone. And so in verse 3, again, he says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The hope of Christ's return makes a practical difference in the lifestyle and behavior of believers. Because we've experienced the love of God, because we've experienced forgiveness, because we've been changed, because we have a new nature, now out of that, I live my life to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. A lot of times we get that backwards. We try to do these works and do good things to gain God's approval. Well, no, we work because he's already approved us, because he's forgiven us, because he saved us. And so we need to have it in the right order, is that we work... And we, in our lifestyle and behavior, follow suit of a new heart, a regenerated heart, uh, what Christ did for us. The idea of purifying oneself does not mean believers uh, can generate their own sanctification. Or sanctification is just a process of being more like Christ. When you hear that, just a process of becoming more like Christ. So we can't do that. We can't generate this on our own. But it emphasizes that the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit does not take place apart from the believer's obedience and the use of the means of sanctifying grace. And so God uses our obedience. So sanctification, as, we, as I obey today and tomorrow and the next day, I'm becoming more and more like Christ. So if I am living in sin, am I becoming more like Christ? No. I'm rebelling, so there must be obedience. And so it's this obedience in living this life to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. That is where this process of sanctification is happening in the Holy Spirit. That is one of the jobs that he has is to grow us and to change us and to make us more like Christ. So this is a typical call to Christians to obey scripture in all things. 
We are called to be holy and pure, set apart for God's purposes. See, we're called to look different. Our lives are to be different. Are our lives perfect? No, far from it. Are we going to sin regularly? Yes. But as a believer, we confess, confess that sin. And if you look back at 1 John 1, what does it promise us? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as believers, we are going to sin, but we confess our sins and God is faithful and God is just to cleanse us from all and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise that we have. But we are called to be different. Our lives are to look different. Our homes are to look different. Our marriages are to look different. The way we raise our kids is to look different. The places we go is to look different. The things that we partake in is to look different. We're not talking about weird dude on, on the street corner screaming things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about as, you li- as we live our life, we go about our daily life, and the, we go to, our, go to home, we go to our work, we, we go and our uh, kids have ball games, things like that. We're we going all over the place and doing these things. Our lives are just to look different. The way we respond to people is to look different. The way that we care about people is to look different. The way we respond to situations at work, uh, when, that, when the boss comes in and gives you a hard time, how are you going to respond to him? It's, uh, we are called to be different. And so we're called to be, holy, uh, to be holy, pure, set apart for God's purposes. And as we wait eagerly for his return, we, we, are, we live a holy and pure life because God is holy and pure. By, the scripture says to be holy, for I am holy. So if you belong to Christ, that is, the, that is a call on your life, is to live a holy life. So how do we live a life of purity? And it's by living according to God's word. Hold your place there in 1 John and go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 9. Yeah, Psalm 119, verse 9 is where we'll start. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how do we keep our way pure? Spending time and knowing God's word. If we don't spend time and know God's word, we will fall. We will fail. And so we have to spend time in his word. This is how we can grow, grow in our faith. This is how we grow uh, in, in our relationship with the Lord. This is how we grow in our knowledge of the Lord is by spending time in his word. This hope that we have <clears throat> is secured by abiding in Christ. It mentions that here in those first, first couple verses that we read there. Verse 28 says, now little children abide in him. So this hope we have is secured by abiding in Christ. It's manifested by righteousness, established by the love of God, fulfilled by Christ-likeness, and characterized by purity. And those who enjoy fellowship with God live a pure life. You cannot be in fellowship with God if you're living an impure life. It's not possible. We are living in sin. It's absolutely impossible to be in fellowship with God. We're living in sin. Where's one of the last places you even want to be? Here. What's one of the last things you want to do? Spend time in God's word. Pray. We, we isolate ourselves when we're living in sin, and we are making ourselves a target for the enemy. And so it, it hinders our fellowship when we live in sin. So we are called to live a pure life. And so that's the first characteristic of fellowship is purity of life. The second one is practice of righteousness. Practice of righteousness. So 1 John chapter 3. Excuse me. Starting in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So when when we sin, we are breaking the law of God. (laughs) So sin is lawlessness. Uh, You know that in verse 5. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I had a conversation with my daughter this week, and I was uh, very proud of her for being willing to, to stand up in, in class. And, and they were talking, well, not stand, actually physically stand up. But their teacher was talking about basically saying, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can live your life however you please. Is basically, that's what she heard. I wasn't in there. I don't know. But that's what she heard. And, um, and I was proud of her for saying, I know that's just not the case because we've been given a new nature. We've been changed. Uh, and now we got, our desires are to change. And so they're having this conversation. I was very proud of her for being willing to take a stand on that. And so I can't remember everything that we talked about. But um, that is, that's just not the case. I told her that's just not true. Because if we've truly been changed, if we've truly been saved, we have a new nature. We've been given a new heart. We've been cleansed. Do we sin? Absolutely. Do we struggle with the, with the temptations of the world? Yes, we do. But our hearts have been changed. We've been given a new heart. And, we, and our desires, our desire is to be changed. And so, <clears throat> this is what he's talking about here. He says, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, for he, as he is righteous. Whoever practices sinning is of the devil. Again, we've got to make sure we understand what this is talking about. We, he's talking about sinning. We're talking about a pattern. We're talking about a lifestyle. We're not talking about a sin here, a sin there. Uh, because we, we still battle this flesh. We're talking about a pattern of sin. We can't just live however we please. If I, if I, if I have this thing saying, I said a prayer and I'm going to live how I please, does that show a love for God? Does that show a desire to serve God? What does that sound like? I just don't want to go to hell. So I'm trusting in a prayer. I'm trusting in something I did. And now I'm just going to go do as I please. That is absolutely not scriptural. We are called to be different. And so one of the characteristics of fellowship is a practice of righteousness. And so I was very proud of her for doing that because that's not easy to do as a 14-year-old. <laughs> and so i uh, very proud of her for doing that. But uh, I wish I could remember more of what our conversation was, but it was kind of long. And, and I've slept since then. So... I've slept since that since that day, but it was uh, it's been. Uh, but a lot of people have that idea. And th- is there some truth to that? Maybe there's some truth that yes, if my faith is genuinely in Jesus Christ, um, technically your salvation is secure and you can't lose that salvation. Um, but I would I, what I would say is that if that's how you see it that you were never saved to begin with. And so that's, that's, how I would, that's how I would view that. But we'll read verses 7 through 10 again. It says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous, righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. See, when we we are saved, we're born. We're born again. We've been given a new nature. We've been given a new heart, a heart that desires God. So we can't, this is why he's making this argument, you cannot continue to live in sin, live this way. By this is evident, verse 10, who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So as believers, we are called to be righteous. The problem is that the problem with this is that we're not righteous. We cannot be righteous, and we are not right. We are not righteous. Uh, we can't be righteous in, in our in our natural state. We have no ability to be righteous. Even the best things you can come up with as an unbeliever are, are filthy rags in the sight of God. And so we have no ability to be righteous. That's the problem. We are called to be righteous, but we're not. And so uh, hold your place there, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Because we see the problem is that we're not righteous, and we have no ability to be righteous. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we... We also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so this sets the stage. It says, this is what you were. If you're in here tonight and you're a believer in Christ, this is what you used to be. If you're in here tonight and you don't know Christ, this is what you are right now. It says, this is what you were. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, meaning that we have no ability to respond to God. So unless, unless God does a work in our life, we have no ability to respond to him because a, a dead person cannot respond. Have you ever had a dead person respond to you? That would be really weird. Okay? They have no ability to respond. It says, this is what you were spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Once walked according, following the course of this world, Last week we talked about not loving the world. It says that's what we once did. We loved the world and we followed the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. But we see a change here in this passage. We see a shift. And it's a great word. It's a great shift here in verse 4. It says that we were by nature children of wrath. It says, but God. See, that is a great phrase right there, is but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, that he breathed life into our dead souls, that our souls were dead, and he breathed life into our souls. And then by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming days... Uh, coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of your own doing or not of yourself. May, may be how your version says it. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we, is work, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. God came, breathed life into your dead soul, saved you by his grace. And it says, now I have created you for good works. So we have to get it in the right order. We've been saved. Then the works are the fruit of being genuinely saved. And so it, what a great phrase we have here. But God, it's that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God came, breathed life into our dead soul. Gave us a new nature. Praise God for that. That although we are not righteous, he gives us his righteousness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3. Look a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. Verse 21. So keep in mind, we're talking about the characteristics of fellowship. One of those is the practice of righteousness. So let's see what, the, what Scripture says about our righteousness. 
or really about the righteousness of God is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, but Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so what we see here is that, it, that God, God is righteous. It says the righteousness of God has now been manifested apart from the law, meaning that we are saved not by keeping the works of the law, but we are saved by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It says that, he, uh, that he, we are justified by his grace, and it's as a gift through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So we see the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, that's the great news. That's the great news is that we are not righteous, but God is. God is righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, you see what happens here? Is that we are not righteous. We have no ability to be righteous. But God is righteous. And so when we put our faith in him... He gives us his righteousness. He took, our, he took our sin upon him. It says he knew no sin. Took our sin upon him. Bore the full wrath of God. And he gives us his righteousness. So we are not trusting in our own righteousness. We're trusting in the righteousness of a faithful God who loves us and gave himself for us. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, we are not righteous. We have no ability to be righteous. What we are relying on is the righteousness of God applied to us. We, he, he took our sin upon him. He gives us his righteousness. So righteousness basically means to do, to do right, but also carries the idea of a legal declaration. Those in Christ have been declared righteous. This is the term justification. It's that we've been legally declared righteous before God. Are we, are, are, are we righteous? No. But we've been declared righteous. We've been justified. We've been made right with God. And so those in Christ have been declared righteous, given the righteousness of God and given the ability to do right. When God looks at you, he no longer sees you in your sin. He no longer sees you in your guilt. What he sees is his son because he has covered you. His, son, his, his blood has covered you. And so when he sees you, he no longer sees your sinfulness. He sees his son. And those who enjoy fellowship with God live a righteous life. Again, we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so it's a gift of God is this practice of righteousness. The third and final characteristic we're going to look at tonight is love and deed and truth. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 11. It'd help if I was in First John. All right. First John chapter 3, verse 11. As for this, the message that you have heard from the beginning... That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is the evil and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that, brothers, that the world 
hates you. Uh, we know that we have passed, uh, passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has, entered, has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know. That, by, the, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, the love, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this you shall know that you are by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before our God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment. So it says you keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It says, and this is his commandments. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first commandment. That you believe, put your faith in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. So that is the first command. And that we love one another just as he has commended us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. <clears throat> and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So this last uh, one we're going to talk about this week is love and deed and truth. Last week, again, we, looked at, we talked about this a little bit ago. We looked at a warning regarding not loving the world. John warns, do not love the world or the things of the world. Talking about the system of the world, the evilness of the system of the world. Um, that temptation is real. But we need to recognize that even though we're tempted to love the world, the world does not love us. What does, it actually, what does Scripture actually say? Does it love us? Yeah, it doesn't say they just kind of dislike you. What does it say? They hate you. The world hates the things of God. The world hates believers in Jesus Christ. So that temptation is real to love the world, but the world does not love us. As a matter of fact, if you take a stand for what's right, you'll be hated. Just look at people who have taken a stand publicly around, the, around our nation even, and they are not, thought, they are not well thought of. They are, they are talk, people talk bad about them. They're trying to ruin their reputation. Uh, people slander them. People are, I mean, it's, it's, um, at times it may become even physical or violent. Uh, but people hate God. They hate the things of God. 1 John three thirteen again says, Do not be surprised, brothers, as the world hates you. So sometimes when, if you take a stand for what's right and people maybe treat you kind of wrong, we're like, hey, well, I don't understand. Why'd that, why'd that happen? Well, because Jesus said it would. <laughs> the Bible said it would. Jesus says it. John says it. It says, don't be surprised. The world's going to hate you. That's a fun message, isn't it? The world's going to hate you. <laughs> but this is why it's so important to be part of a local church. And so glad that every one of you are here and being faithful and, and a, a functioning part of a local church because we need one another. Because when we leave, we go out into a world that hates God and hates the things of God. And we need one another. We need each other. We are to love one another and to genuinely care about one another. And that we are in need of each other. And so this is why fellowship is so important. We fellowship with God. We fellowship with Christ. We fellowship with our brothers. uh, Because we, we need this. Because the world hates us. And so again, whenever we leave tonight, we walk out the door, uh, we go into a world that hates God and hates the things of God. And if you name the name of Jesus Christ, that includes you. That includes me. And so it says, don't be surprised. Expect it. But it's an evidence, when we, when we love in this way, it's evidence of genuine salvation. When we have a love for the brethren, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. Oop, I'm in the wrong chapter. Where are we here? Chapter 3, verse 14. Oh, there it is. Okay. 
says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Maybe your, maybe your version says, you know, you've passed from death to life. How do we know? It says, because we love the brothers. It says, how do you, that, that is one evidence that you belong to Christ, is do you love the people of God? And it's funny because this has come up, this has come up every week so far. And guess what? This could come up again next week as we continue on. John talks about this a lot, and he says, this is one evidence that you belong to Christ, is do you love the people of God? If you could take them or leave them or just don't like even be around them, what does Scripture say? So this is one evidence that you belong to Christ, is do you love the people of God? He says, we know we have passed on from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So it's an evidence of genuine salvation when we love the brothers. Uh, look back at 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. It says, if you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so it, this talking about genuine salvation, this love for believers, says that we talk about, it talks about righteousness here, but that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. It says, you may be sure of this. And so John gives evidences, uh, other places, where it says, you could be sure. If you want to examine your heart, you can go to First John and say, does this describe me? Does this describe my faith? And he says, these people who, uh, talking about here, uh, who practices righteousness, and maybe sure that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. Talking about this evidence of a love for our brethren. In verse 14, we know he passed from death to life, uh, does not abide in death. But if, he talks about being born of God. And so if you go to John chapter 3, so we're talking about these evidences. These evidences are proof that a person has been born of God. John chapter 3. And this is when Jesus is having a conversation with uh, Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1. So now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a, a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter second time enter his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And so First John, he's talking about, and you'll see this, you'll see this again, but it says people who do whatever, whatever, you know, those who practice righteous, righteousness are born of God. Those who love their brothers are born of God. And so this it looks, we think back to John chapter 3. And he talks there in verse 8, and he says, The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear it sound. See, we can't see the wind, but in the springtime, we can see the wind, right? When these dirt storms hit. We can't see the wind. We can't see where it comes from. We can't see where it goes. We can't see how it's created. But no one can see the, way, see the wind and the way which is blowing. We only see its effects. And so similarly, one, no one can, can see uh, the new birth happening. But the results of the Spirit's life-changing work are evident. And John says that is absolutely true. Is that a, a change of heart, a newness of heart, a newness of life that comes from faith in Jesus Christ? It says it is evident in how we, again, purity of life, practice righteousness, the way that we love in deed and truth. And so it says it is absolutely evident. So how are we to love one another? 
We're getting close to being done. Um, first way is unconditionally. They were to love each other unconditionally. God calls his sons and daughters to love people as they are and to pray that he will do a work in their lives. Now, you have to have a note here, have to say, to love people as they are does not mean that we accept their sin and praise their sinfulness. A lot of people say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, <laughs> that's sin. And so, uh, so loving people as they are does not mean excusing and accepting their sinful behavior. Actually, it's a very loving thing to point them to Christ. It's a very loving thing to point them to the forgiveness that can be found in Christ. Uh, verse 16 of, of 1 John chapter 3. It says, By this we know love, that he, that he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Is that we see this unconditional love that God had. Uh, hold your place there and go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? That's us. That's you. That's me. We're ungodly. It says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. Maybe your version says God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says that while we were in our sin, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it says Christ died for us. He loves us unconditionally because we are very unlovable. We are unlovable. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and God died, uh, his son, sent his son to die for us. Second way is sacrificially. We are to love each other sacrificially. We should not merely tell others about God's love, but show them. Uh, show them through our, we demonstrate the love of God. Exactly what Christ did. He demonstrated his love by sending his son to die on a cross while we were still sinning, while we were still his enemies, he died for us. Verse 16 uh, through 18 in 1 John 3 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for, our, for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, the love, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It says this is how we are to love, sacrificially, that we show them the love of God. Not just Now, we need to tell them about the love of God. That's absolutely necessary. A lot of times, you know, you hear the old saying, I'm trying to remember how it goes, because just... Uh, it says, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Well, that's absolutely just a lie. Because you could be the nicest person in the world and do things for people and never tell them about Christ, and they're going to die and go to hell and think you're just a nice person. We have to tell them why. We have to tell them about Christ. And so we need to speak the truth. And so we love sacrificially. Tell them the truth of God, but show them the love of God as well. And finally, personally, the only Christ a lot of people may ever see is Christ in us. And so we need to show them the love of God. We need to tell them of the love of God. First John 4, we'll get to this again next week, but First John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, If anyone says, I, have, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he ha- can, who has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, that we are to love one another unconditionally, sacrificially, and personally. It was very personal. It's a very personal thing that God sent his son to die on our behalf. And he knows everything about us, is that we are to love one another personally, that we get to know one another, that we care about one another, um, that we pray for one another, that we serve together, we do these things. This brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. This is how we are to love one another. And it's in these ways that God loves us. Again, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Jesus did this. He tells us uh, of his love, love for us, and then he demonstrated it on the cross. 
We can say we love others, but do our actions back that up? Do our actions back it up that we love people? And so to wrap this up tonight, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, and then chapter, verse 23 of that same chapter. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Again, you've heard this every week, and we'll hear it again next week, too. Uh, But verse 11, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Is John very, is he really beaten, uh, really uh, saying it over and over and over and over again? John, we need to get that, that we love one another. So this is not just something you should do, it's a commandment. And then verse 23 says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Christ. That is, first and foremost, we are commanded to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is what sends people to hell, is that they are unwilling to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the first commandment. And then it says that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. And then, what does it say again? Love one another, just as he has commanded us. Two commands that we see. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, tonight's the night that needs to happen. Not in, not in a, not, not, hey, I go to this place or I go to that place or I, on the roll or I do this. That is your faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, tonight's the night for that as we are commanded. And then love one another. Love the brethren. We, what a great thing we have. We have a great uh, group of people in here. We come, we're all different ages. We're from all different backgrounds. We're, well, some people are from different even parts of the country. Uh, we're, from, we're all different. Yet we have the bond of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have, that's, that's a great thing to have in common. Even if we have no, no like special interest in common, that is a greater thing than any special interest you could ever come up with. And only God can do that. This is not normal. <laughs> it's not normal for people from all walks of life to come together and to love and to care for one another and to serve. And, and that's not normal. Again, that's a testimony to the lost world is that we love one another. Those who enjoy fellowship with God love others in deed and in truth. So if you need to, if you need to place your faith in Christ, you have questions about that tonight, come talk to me afterward. I'd love to talk to you. If you have, praise God that he breathed life into your dead soul when you're on your way to hell, and then love each other. Love each other. Uh, strive for purity in life. Practice, be a person who practices righteousness and loves others in deed and in truth. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for this day, and uh, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your love for us, is that you have commanded us to love you, to love others. But, Lord, we, we love because you loved us first. And so you are the one who initiated that love and that relationship toward us. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to show that to others, that we would be people, God, who are pure in our life, who practice righteousness, who love indeed and truth. God, I ask that you would do a work in us, that you continue to grow us, make us more like you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would mold us into the image of your Son, as we know that, that that is your ultimate will for our life, is that we become more and more like you. And so, Lord, I pray that you do work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.